I am Pastor Corrine Boroff, Senior Pastor at Anderson First United Methodist Church. Thank you for listening to our worship service today. If you want to learn more about this church, visit our website at andersonfirst.org. Have a blessed day and enjoy the message. Down by the riverside, down by the riverside, gonna lay down my burden. Down by the riverside, ain't gonna study war no more. lesson is from the first chapter of Ephesians, verses 11 through 14. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hopes on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. 
In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth exactly as God intended it to be. It was perfect in every way. All creation lived in harmony, and God pronounced God's creation good. No do-overs were necessary. No tweaking needed. Everything was exactly right. Then God created a man and a woman. God made them much like the rest of creation, but this time God did something different. 
God breathed God's very breath into them, and they became living souls. God breathed a part of God's own being, God's own life, God's own image into this man and this woman. They stood and walked throughout the garden with some of the very character and creativity of God. And an even greater wonder was that they knew God and fellowshiped with God in perfect trust and in wondrous intimacy. The man and the woman saw things clearly. They did not know fear. They knew nothing of sadness or suffering. The concept of death was impossible to imagine. There was no death. They only knew contentment and joy and peace. And God loved this man and this woman with infinite love and pronounced the greatest of all God's creations exceedingly good. And the man and the woman loved God. But love isn't real unless it is chosen. God didn't want the man and the woman to love God because they had to, because they had no choice but to do so. God wanted them to love and worship God because they freely chose to. And so God created in them the capacity to choose. Then one awful day, they did what they had the capacity to do, but that which God never intended or wanted They chose to listen to and respond to God's creation rather than to God. And with that choice, everything changed. The man and the woman were sent out of the presence of God into a world vastly different from the one that they had lived in since the moment God breathed life into them. We cannot begin to imagine what that change must have been like for them. They knew the way it was supposed to be. They had experienced it. And now, everything must have been so frightening. Nothing was clear anymore. Nothing certain. So many questions like walking out of a brilliant sunshine into a dense, thick, dark fog. God must have seemed far away, distant, unreal. We have no way of knowing what it was like, that life with God as God intended it to be. We only know life outside the garden. It's all we have ever known. The world outside the garden is broken. It is out of sync with the way God created it to be. Look around you. Look within you. There's no harmony in the created order. God's human creation is constantly at odds with the natural world. The self is this world's God and 
Power is the means by which the self rules his personal kingdom. Rather than harmony and peace, fear and intimidation characterize this world. Even God's people cannot see clearly, cannot know the will and the way of God perfectly. Even God's people live in fear and suffer the world's brokenness. And in the end, there's death. But God did not stop loving God's own creation, especially the man and the woman created in God's image. And from the moment they left a world in harmony with itself and with God, God has been about the work of bringing it back to wholeness once again. The story of God that we read in our Bibles is a redemption story. We are living out that story every day of our lives. The story is not yet at an end, but one day it will be, for the Word of God has promised it. One day, everything, absolutely everything will be redeemed, restored, made right and whole once again. Paul reminds the Ephesians, and he reminds us today, that for those in Christ, we are adopted children of God. We can know the God who comes to us because God wants us to know God. And we have an inheritance. It's this inheritance about which I want to speak today. In Christ... Paul writes, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will. For those in Christ, this is our inheritance, that one day God will make everything right again, just as God created it in the first place. A new heaven and a new earth, John the Revelator calls it. One day. And so like the Hebrew people so long ago who were waiting with great longing for the coming of the Messiah, we also wait with great longing for the return of our Lord and King. You know, they say that there's nothing certain in this world except death and taxes. Well, it might seem true right now that tax season is upon us. But some of us would argue, however, that this really isn't true. There are many people out there who don't pay their fair share of the tax burden. But of the certainty of death, no one would argue. The end of life in this world is death. The psalmist reflects on this human condition when he says, Our years come to an end like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 or perhaps 80. If we are strong, even then their span is only toil and trouble, and they are soon gone and we fly away. We do our best to avoid that day, to stretch out our time here on earth as far into the future as possible. And if we can't avoid death, we will do what we can to make ourselves look like it's not going to happen to us anytime soon. Do you remember 
Pastor Corrine's reference a couple of weeks ago to their, our huge support of the cosmetic industry in this country. Well, here's an additional fact. Americans spent over $16 billion on cosmetic surgery alone last year. Wow. But a tummy tuck or a facelift will not change the inevitable. We are going to die. Some of us will die too soon, some tragically. Others will die before they breathe their last breath. And some of us will live energetically beyond the age of 100. Who can say? There is no distinction made between those persons who follow Jesus and those who do not. On this earth, there are no special favors for the good. And outside the law, no special punishments for those who choose evil. Quoting all those people who quote this passage of Scripture without knowing it's Scripture, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And I would add, likewise, does the sun shine. We live in a broken world. It is the world outside the garden. And outside the garden, there's death. But here's the wonderful truth. We are living in the unfolding of God's story. And God's story of redemption and reconciliation continued at the proper time in the life of Jesus, who was God, come to earth in human form. And when Jesus died, for he was human too, as well as the perfect sacrifice for the sin of all humankind, when Jesus died, God made him alive again. And in his resurrection... Death has no longer any power over us. Death is no longer the end. It is truly just the beginning. My younger sister Cheryl died too young. She was just 56 when she died of kidney cancer in June of 2011, just seven and a half years ago. But I'm not the only one who has lost a family member or loved one too soon. Many of you have, too. Gerald's grave is in the Maplewood Cemetery behind the AU campus. Her husband, Bernie, will one day be buried there as well. And inscribed on that marker are both their names. Also inscribed are the names of their children, the Japanese character for love, And Cheryl's favorite verse from Jeremiah, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Occasionally I walk through the cemetery and stop at Cheryl's grave, and in my mind's eye I can see her body in the coffin, just as I saw it at her funeral. Physically that's where she is, There's no life in her body anymore. You know, every day more than 150,000 people die in our world. Many of those people die without a shred of hope that death is just a doorway to an unimaginable life beyond. The promise of Scripture is eternal life for those in Christ. We usually think of it in terms of a place, 
and we give it a name, heaven. But though we have some vivid descriptions in the New Testament of what life looks like beyond this one and and of what it must be like to live in that reality, Scripture is not at all clear about the particulars. This world is what God has given us to know, and any ideas we have about eternity are no more than speculation. But here's how I begin to imagine it. I imagine it very much like the birth of a baby. Let's think of Emily Miller, who is now just nine days old. Wasn't that wonderful picture of her on the screen this morning? Before her birth, life in the womb was all Emily knew. She knew the warmth. She knew the security of being fed. She experienced something of what Stacy was experiencing, joy, laughter, pain, anxiety, and the occasional heartburn. Emily heard the muffled sounds of talking and music and the constant throbbing of Stacy's heartbeat. But she had no words to put thought to what she was experiencing. That was Emily's reality. That was life as she knew it. Could she even begin to imagine what life after birth could possibly be? Not in a million years. On this side of birth, we know how much more to life there is than life in the womb. On the other side of death, my sister Cheryl knows how much more to life there is than life in this world. At least this is the way I imagine it. But this step into life after death is just that, a step, a way station, if you will, until Jesus comes again. We know we will be with Jesus. Jesus told the repentant thief dying on the cross beside him, today you will be with me in paradise. We know that in death we will throw off the clothes of this world with its pain and suffering and sadness. We know that though our bodies are asleep, the real person continues, but what does this mean? Theologian N.T. Wright puts it this way, it is a state in which the dead are held firmly within the conscious love of God and the conscious presence of Jesus Christ while they await the day of Jesus' return. That's really about the best we can say. And so I often wonder when I stand at my sister's grave, or for that matter, any time she comes to my mind and my heart, what is Cheryl experiencing right now? It's a question that helps me remember that she is not in the grave, she's alive. And it has made all the difference, not when I just when I think about Cheryl, but when I ponder my own death as well. What is your loved one who died in Christ experiencing right now? But here's the astounding thing. This, this state is not the final destiny for which Christians who have died are bound. Yet to come in God's own time will be 
our bodily resurrection into that new heaven and new earth. For those in Christ, this is our inheritance. One day, Jesus will return and God will make everything right again just as God created it to be. And so, the story of God and God's redeeming work continues. For how long? Only God knows. Those who have died in Christ are waiting restfully and joyously free from the bondage of this world. Those of us who are yet living in this world are also waiting. And so is all creation. In his letter to Romans, Paul writes in chapter 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. This is the inheritance that Paul refers to in Ephesians 1. God's redemption story has a glorious end. For those who have already died in Christ, it is, as Wright puts it, resurrection to life after life after death. It is the final redemption of all creation, the coming together at last of the new earth and the new heaven. Again, Wright describes it this way. God is the creator, and this new world will be exactly what we need and want with the love and beauty of this present world taken up and transformed. And what of our new bodies? Can we really describe them except to imagine how Jesus' disciples saw his risen body? Jesus' body bore the marks of his crucifixion, but he had passed beyond death and was no longer susceptible to illness or injury or decay or even death itself. The body was physical, yet now incorruptible. That's the kind of body we'll have, recognizable yet whole. And more than having a new body like Jesus, we will also experience the fullness of his character. We will have been perfected, no more, no longer prone to wander, as that old hymn puts it. We will be like him. We will be as God created us to be. But why? Why will we be given new bodies? I don't know. Scripture doesn't say. This is perhaps the most mysterious aspect of resurrection life. We do not see the whole picture. What What will we do in these redeemed bodies on this redeemed earth? Early Christians suggested that our new bodies were to help us rule wisely over God's new world we will not likely be floating around strumming harps 
we just might be working and loving it. And all those gifts and talents that we have put to God's service in this life, maybe those talents we've even had to sacrifice for one reason or another will be enhanced and given back to us for the service of the pra- to the praise of his glory, using Paul's words in Ephesians. This new body will be a gift of God's grace and love. It is the inheritance of all those who are in Christ. There are many people who dispute the reality of such an inheritance. You certainly can't prove it by any scientific methodology. No one has experienced it, experienced it and returned to tell us. We are all fascinated by those stories of those who have had near-death experiences, none of which, however, prove or disprove what we've been talking about today. So how can we know that one day this inheritance will be ours? How can we even begin to describe what that inheritance might be like? Well, God has already given us a hint of that glorious day. We already experience it in some small measure. God's saving purposes in Christ are already have already appeared in the church. We have received a small installment of that inheritance. The end is not yet, but the end is not in doubt. For the Spirit of God lives in the church as a guarantee of the final inheritance. Here again the words of Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In Christ you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. The Spirit of God assures us and marks us as God's own. The fruit of God's own Spirit begins to live more fully in us. The fruit of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And as we live in community with God's people, we can experience the very character of God. We can find joy in living according to God's will and God's way. We experience God's power when we serve and love God and know God more deeply. We are a people who live by faith. And we are a people who live in hope. Faith and hope are possible because of the loving, gracious ministry of God's Spirit in our lives. You know, we in the church have usually thought about being saved in terms of reward and punishment. Choosing Christ means I get heaven. Not choosing Christ means I choose hell instead. I've put it rather simply here, I know. But I wonder if there is a greater theme playing out in God's redemption story. I wonder if we have been saved in the present day to play a vital role in the larger picture. Will we take hold of our inheritance today while we yet live in this world? 
and worship our Creator by living with the help of God's Spirit as redeemed people caring for others and the world in the expectation that one day too they will be restored and reconciled to God. Perhaps then we will truly discover what it means to be fully human as God created us to be. What are our spiritual blessings in Christ? We've been adopted as God's children and we can know God and know God's way and we have received the promise of an inheritance. For those in Christ, this is our inheritance that one day God will make everything right again just as God created it to be. And the man and the woman who walked out of the garden will know the peace and joy and intimate fellowship with God once again. Amen.